And we are the Light Kick Podcast. Um, we're here, coming at you, and maybe on you, live. Um, internationally, we've got Toronto, we've got Scotland, and we've got New York City. Um, and we get more ass than a toilet seat. This is a Light Kick Podcast. Um, yes, David, we see your nipple. Um, <laughs> top right, renowned sports analyst, English lawyer, an all-around good guy, Muay Thai practitioner, MMA fan, David Agabunga. Wow. Agabunga. Gets, gets even more races every week. Um, I thought you were going with the boxer from yesterday, Ajagva. How are you doing, guys? Bottom left, boxing analyst, NCAA football player, sweater aficionado, and a man who's going to eat his heart out this week, that's for sure. Jeremy Asifo. I just want to say, before we start this podcast, I'm blessed to commune with you guys once a week and uh, talk about combat sports in depth. You know, I don't know, something about it, it heals me. And also, you know, I'm kind of in high spirits. I feel like crying today, guys. What a great fight. What a great yeah, fight. I feel like... Wait, let's get through the topics. <laughs> one for the ages, one for the ages for the sure. So we're all, thank you for that, Jeremy, and we're all stoked to talk about it. But bottom right, scumbag of the podcast. <laughs> Older brother to Jeremy. Former correspondent for Jazz FM. Um, MMA fighter. And somebody who I'm going to blast double egg as soon as I get back to Toronto. Michael Sifo. Is that, is that what you're going to do as I'm double-legging you? Uh, no, it's more going to be like... <sighs> well, it's hard to throw knees and uppercuts from your back, Mike. And then... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the implication that you can get me there, which I don't think you can. Mike, but, um, I will put you on your back faster than a hooker with a mortgage. Let's be real. <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> Holy shit, that's a and good one. That's a good one. <laughs> and finally, think about that one. It was good because we had to think about it a little bit. <laughs> and finally, there's me, avid beer drinker, a man who approaches his target weight every day by a little less. Um, consumer of alcohol and pasta, MMA fighter, and um, you know, I don't know. I do some things. All right, I do things. I say things. I'm here, uh, Stefanosko. Everybody, thank you. Can we get a round of applause? Jazz hands. Oh my god. I I asked for a round of applause and David legitimately started snapping and rubbing his hands together. Well, that David has clearly been to a feminist slam uh poetry session. Yeah. Um I have a story about that by the way, which is kind of funny. But oh you went to a fem- uh, feminist slam poetry session uh recently? Unintentionally. Um all right, well, we'll get to in story time. Everyone has stories this week. I think it was a while we'll ago. For the end. Oh jeez, do these people not know I'm on air? Wow, professionalism. Just my dad, of all people. Um, Wonderful. Anyways, man. let's um, let's discuss. I know Mike's gonna have something to say about this uh, this first piece of news. We all know how much Mike loves weightlifting. Um, Aspen Lad uh, is main eventing next. Oh Lord! Wow, wow! The unprofessionalism of our host here, <laughs> Stefano. Sorry, sorry. Anyways, so. Aspen Lad, after fresh off of missing weight a week or two ago, uh, Holly Holm uh, is out of her main event. Holly Holm in a main event in 2021. What year is it? Um, 
Aspen Ladd stepping into fights on a week's notice against Norma Dumont to save a card that nobody thought needed saving. <laughs> <laughs> this one needed, let's be honest, this one needed the John Jones, Dan Henderson treatment, if you, uh, if you follow. Yeah. Um, guys, thoughts and shots? Honestly, this is, this is just another example of the UFC trying to meet their obligations to, you know, um, put on a card on ESPN. And yeah, it's just that they're 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 slapping cards together just to put on a network, and they're not really caring about the quality or caring about the quality enough, and so they're just kind of throwing people on there. Like, I who who here has seen? Let's be honest. Who here has seen a Nora Dubon fight? Be honest, and we and we cover the sport. You know what I'm saying? You know, it's funny. I've seen it, and I don't remember it, and I will never be able to remember it. I don't even know who that is. Sorry, Dora. Well, there you go. I'm going to do this uh, every week. Mind you, UFC 267, which is coming up, they're doing free on ES- if you subscribe to ESPN+. And that card yeah. is insane. Yeah. That card is uh, cream in your khaki is good, you know? Yeah. No, it's, it's a good it, – but that's the thing. The number – it's not the number of events I worry about because those are good cards. Those are good cards. So, like, the 265, 266, whatever – it's it's the fight nights, right? And at least back in the day, or at least when it was the Fox deal, they tried to put together a a serviceable card. It just seems like with some of these fight nights, they they kind of sl- they're kind of slapping these things together. Um, and we've really reached the, the the bottom of the barrel with uh, Marina Rodriguez and L- Mackenzie Dern. And All right, now, that was a good fight. Don't do that. That was actually a decent. No, it was, but, David, but, but, David, but, no. But, as a as a as a casual fan i do get the sense that these fight night cards aren't as great as products as what they were let's say like 14 months ago i don't know the reason for that is but i definitely feel the quality has been lacking a little bit i could in my personal opinion i mean the co-main event was randy brown versus jared gooding like uh, you know i'm trying to say like and I'm you not trying like to be Rude mean. Brown? I like. Sorry. You didn't like Rude Boy Brown. Look, does is Randy Brown a co-main event fighter on any card in the UFC? Okay, I'm just, we're just. Or Jared Gooden, for that matter, even worse. Yeah, I mean, I, I, fun I, fight. I, I, I enjoyed it, but like, yeah, still, you know, like I, this card was not you know, serviceable. But it's not, it's not good but you can still get something from the. Talk about this more when we talk about the UFC card, guys. Guys, we're going to talk about this more when we talk about the UFC card. Let's. Yeah, let's keep the ball rolling. We're still talking about the same Aspen lad who almost fainted on the scales like two weeks ago, right? Yes. That's yes. The one, but this is up at one forty. This one up at one forty-five. Aspen lad normally a one thirty-five. Um, okay. In who gives a fuck? Bellator knows. Um, we've got Chris Cyborg versus Sinead Kavanaugh. I wonder if she's related to John Kavanaugh. Don't know. Don't Ooh. care. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. There you go. Uh, then, talked about in Bellator, uh, Michael Venom Page avenging his loss uh, to Diego Lima. Controversially, albeit, but um, yeah. All right, next up, next up. Next up, and um, this has me a little bit interested because maybe Patricio Pitbull might be moving to the UFC at some point. So as you know, he lost to AJ McKee at 145. Mm-hmm. He says that he wants to get his 145 title back. 
and therefore he's vacated the 155 belt, and we have a 155 Bellator fight between his brother, Patricky Pitbull, and Peter Quilly. All right. Fair. Um, here's the thing. I, a couple things. One, and less important, didn't Patricky lose his last fight? Um, didn't he? Yeah. yeah, his brother. His brother. Sorry, his brother, Patricio. Patricio lost his last fight, no? Pretty sure? Um, Patricio's the 45er. Oh, so Patricio's the, the 55er? All right. Patricio is... Patricio had the 55 title and the 45 title. He lost the 45 title to AJ McKee. Yes. And now he vacated the 55 title. And, and Patricio's stepping in. Patricio. Yeah. Wait, yeah, so you're saying that Patricio's going to be fighting Peter Queeley? Yeah. Okay, yeah, so Patricio lost. lost to Peter Queeley in May Which, 7th, 2021. So they're, they're rematching it again? This is for the for the title? That's what yeah, they're doing? vacant title. Okay. And Dublin. I, okay. Bellator milking that Irish teat. Right. They're also, they're kind of milking the brother connection a little bit there. Um, the Well, the other thing is, though, an, another AJ McKee versus Patricky Pitbull fight, I don't mind. So, kind of interested, you know, on that, in that front. But, yeah, it, it goes to show you kind of like Bellator, the problem with them is not necessarily that they don't have premier fighters. They just don't have enough of them that you can you know, reasonably put somebody else out there. But, alas, that's... And finally, in Bellator news, uh, Bellator non-title fights to be made of... Uh, Bellator non-title fight main events to be five rounds. Okay, Bellator, welcome to 2021. Yeah, I was about to say, finally. Um, After that, Cole Davis versus Yo Romero fight, they should have done that on the spot, like, immediately, but... Yeah, I guarantee Yo Romero knew what he was doing, but... Okay, um... In a weird piece of news, BJ Penn to run for governor of Hawaii. Okay. Um, <laughs> apparently, his opponent is the uh, the lot the guy that beat him outside of the lava track. <laughs> don't do yeah, that. Don't do don't that to a good state of Hawaii. Don't do that. Don't do that. I think I think just about anyone can can apply to run for a position of governor. Yeah. You know, like you know. Hey, what though? Like, look, I'll say this: if let's say if let's say Stefano, sorry, go ahead. No, just that. Don't play UFC politicians, please. No more martial arts part. I'm not saying martial arts. UFC legends running for political offices. No more. No more. How dare you insult the, the Vladimir Klitschko, who uh, is holds office in Ukraine? How dare you? And does Vladimir Klitschko has job, a PhD. But Vladimir Klitschko has a PhD. Wait, hold on. Let me rephrase that. He has a PhD in sports science. Like that's not like he's a smart yeah. man. Is it Vladimir Klitschko or Vitaly Klitschko? I'm pretty sure it's Vitaly who holds who holds office in the Ukraine. They, they both. That's one of them. Oh, okay. They both have Anyways. But no, but my point is being though that like, you know what, if any of like there are a lot of smart athletes out there who if they decided they want to hold office, I wouldn't bat my eye at it. I just We were kind of talking about this the other day in the group chat. Yeah, like, you know, um yeah, if if Certain guys I actually think would do a pretty good job in office. And the fact that they're fighters, David can't hear you. But No, no, I just hear you. I'm just talking to myself. I uh, mean, I, I hear you. just muttering angrily under his breath. <laughs> real, though, like, let's get into, like, the real world. Like, with no, no disrespect, but, like, I don't think there's any qualifications as a fighter that necessarily prepare you for the political world, in my humble opinion. And no. just because you are intelligent 
for a fighter does not mean like you can hang with like people who've been private school their entire life and you know groomed for this position i'm sick of the whole like political outsider experiment you know what qualifies you for political office previous experience in political office i'm, I'm not going to be like hey you know there's some politicians out there that would be actually a really good MMA fighter. Like, <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm Joe Biden. Maybe the I guys like in Japan. You see the video of those like old Japanese guys in the Japanese parliament that have like legit judo skills and they're like, you know, sacrifice throwing each other. A fight breaks out in parliament. One of them sacrifice throws another one. Another one like hip tosses another one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Those guys might have something for, uh, no, but my I'm point not, not necessarily Mike, is that. Mike, like, Mike, moving along, moving along. We got a lot of content. Sorry, yeah, let's, let's move on. Mike, Mike, sorry, sorry, sorry. We got to keep getting sidetracked on these points. But my point is, you know, the, no, there sorry, be, let's go, let's uh, you go. know. <laughs> All right. So go, we got a couple go. more pieces of news here to deal with. Um, fight announcement. Fight announcement. We have we have a big one coming up, but fight announcement. Fight announcement. Derek Lewis versus uh, Chris Dawkins. All right. I like it. Yeah. Like Dalkus is an interesting Dalkus. Chris Dalkus. Mm. Emerging heavyweight guy. prospect. He's got some good boxing. Guy's a cop, but we'll forgive him yeah, for that. I mean, Chris Dalkus is definitely a cop. Never forget. And I will never forget for his uh, brother either. But I don't know. I feel like, yeah, I don't know. No comments. Yeah, I, I think Chris Dalkus is a good. Oh, sorry. I like he's going to say, I, I think. Because, oh, my God. We're speaking all over I was just gonna say, I feel like he's done well because he's got great boxing for the heavyweight division. Um, Derek Lewis obviously has heavy hands, so we'll see. This sucks to be Derek Lewis because I, I feel, you know, number one, he takes any fight, but also maybe this is just one where perhaps his star is a little bit bigger. Yeah, D Derek Lewis is kind of a matchup at heavyweight now, where the Biting some freak accident, which often happens in a Derek Lewis fight. Um, Derek Lewis is kind of the measurements of how disciplined are you uh, as far as sticking to a game plan, right? And how willing are you to just fight in that specific way where you know you're going to give him problems, right? Painting, making him swing at air and miss, and then hitting him. Taking the leg because he's in that weird tall stance, you know? Possibly employing wrestling. Like, he, he's, he's, he's very much um, a matchup that... You know, he has some formidable ass, uh, attributes physically and a few skills that make him very dangerous. But it seems like he's kind of the test of whether you're elite or sub-elite in heavyweight divisions at this point. Which is weird because he's ranked like number four last time I checked. That's heavyweight. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> he honestly was ranked number 10. Um, now, moving along, uh, Misha Tate, Caitlin Vera, no one cares. Um, oh, man. sorry, it's 2021. <laughs> no, it's just it, it tickled me. Oh, my God. Um, uh, Sean O'Malley has his next fight against Raleigh and Paiva. I know you guys probably don't uh, remember, remember who he that is. Fight between uh, Paiva and uh, Kyler Phillips, was it? That's right. Yeah, where Paiva displayed that was a great fight, and Paiva displayed an otherworldly amount of toughness in the next two rounds. And you know what? He's going to need it against O'Malley. He genuinely will, but um, after that Kyler Phillips fight, I will not count uh, Paiva out of this fight whatsoever. Yeah, it was Especially like a 10 first round, maybe 10-7, and this man came back and and, and and took that fight like a thief in the night. So, yeah, I'm I, I'm excited for this one. 
Here's the risk with O'Malley too. He's shown certain issues as far as durability, particularly with his legs. Incredibly talented, athletic, sets things up with both feints. Um, but if you keep playing around at the lower levels like this, you might run into somebody that is on their way up and would be more suited to a main event fight with you. And they could really delay the progress of your career. That's all I'm saying. Sure. Uh, Allied Shido Vera. And I just want to say, I heard a rumor, and you know how accurate <laughs> Twitter is for the rumors. Um, I heard a rumor that O'Malley has technically not signed, like, uh, a contract with the UFC that's, like, worthy of fighting. Um, at least according to somebody in this camp. I don't know. I don't even know. The that's O'Malley, confer- O'Malley confirmed that. He said that he's like, why I want to just fight out my contract fighting... A lower level of op- opposition, and then when I produce some like very high level finishes, you know, I I, <laughs> I do get the sentiment, like, and I do understand it in theory, but I think he had no problems p- facing Cheeto Vera when he thought he was hot shit. I think part of it is a confidence issue. Um, like, I'm, you know, you can kind of see through when people are kind of BSing you. I think he's BSing people like a bit, a bit to an extent. Um, because quite frankly, he was he wasn't afraid to call out all kinds of guys and try to fight all kinds of guys before he ran to Chido Vera. And then after it's all, I want to fight guys, you know, worthy of my compensation, right? That's all I'm saying. And the big one, and this is the big one, and the final piece of news, gentlemen. Are you ready? Sure. Let's go. Let's hear it. Can I get a drum roll? Oh, that sounds like uh, some fine African music. Um, anyways. Oh, God. <laughs> Africans have excellent drumming skills. Um, anyways, Jesus, I got to be careful. I'm going to get fucking Yeah, you're going to get canceled. They're going to cancel. Definitely treading that line. See what America's done to you? Crazy. Man. Yeah, it, honestly, I, I'll tell you something about that afterwards. Uh, when we're off air. But <clears throat> anyways, the fight we were all knew was going to happen. But you would never count the UFC out of doing something colossally stupid and not making the fights we need to see happen. Charles Oliveira, Dustin Poirier. It's done. It's signed. December 11th. It's happening. I'm, I'm, I like it. It should be happening. Uh, it's a fight that makes the most sense, unless you do some mental gymnastics and throw Justin Gaethje in there. But... Well, Gaethje's already signed to fight um, Chandler, yeah. which I'm going to go see live in November. Ooh, nice, nice. That's gonna be crazy. Uh, but then, yeah, I guess you know, give the winner of that the next title shot. Realistically, uh, no more McGregor, man. Like, no, more. no, that's bullshit. McGregor should be uh, get, getting the title shot. He deserves to fight Poirier. He really does. I mean, yeah, really. We just give the fights to the biggest stars. You're right. You're right. My bad. Come on, well, money fights, money fights. Um, but yeah. Money, 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 money. Well. I guess that's all you guys have to say. Well, no, I'm, I'm, I we were I'm gonna... excited for this. Like, I, you know what? We we're gonna get a test to see how good is Charles Oliveira going into the fifth fifth round. You know, because we haven't really seen him do do five rounds um, against high level competition. Who's gonna push the pace? Um, that's crazy, Michael. I was gonna say the well, opposite. Yeah, high level competition five rounds. I think he has no. Kevin no, Lee. Kevin oh, he Lee finished in the second or third. Yeah, Kevin Lee he finished that that later, and Kevin Lee was clearly diminished going into that fight. So, Mike, um, I think it's adorable. You think this will last five rounds? 
my question was yeah fair fair we'll finally find out how good dustin Poirier's jiu-jitsu is no 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 because charles <laughs> Oliveira to find out how good charles Oliveira's chin is because Charles Oliveira doesn't really got like a, a, a comprehensive takedown game where he's going to get Poirier down there. Unless Wait, Poirier no, 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 no. That's false, too. You think that's false? Like, because think about he it. He showed like, great wrestling against Tony Ferguson, offensive wrestling, and Kevin Lee, and Jim Miller. He, he's my, got great wrestling. But my thing is, is like, okay, Jim Miller was like 80 years old at that at the time of that fight. And Kevin Lee, Kevin, yeah, Kevin Lee was diminished going into that. He missed weight. And was like not himself, and then Tony Ferguson was not himself either. So I I don't know what the indication like. Well, Mike, then you're discarding his whole title run. Right, I know, which is I don't. Yeah, you know what, Michael Chandler was a lucky punch. No, that's I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. We're not. (laughs) I'm not going to do that. But you get what I'm trying to say though. Like you get what I'm trying to say though. Like I don't know what the indication of like his takedown game is and even with michael chandler it's not like he was landing takedowns at will it was you know th- scrambles here scrambles there which you know admittedly he's a great scramble guy and has a really good old school jujitsu style like it's like very fundamental based but it's it's it works he's got, um, he's got a nice um single leg x card as well yeah which yeah. i say about a lot of people but very underutilized thing though, like the single leg X in uh UFC, in MMA, particularly the UFC though. But mm. yeah, so like he's a good like there are lots of things to like, and I think it's gonna be a very competitive fight. But like I I wonder if he does go to that game, um, you know, can he show the ability to control to take down Dustin Poirier and control him at will? Um, Dustin Poirier for his part isn't really. If he wants to defend the takedown, he will, but he likes to go for that guillotine off of like, like very old school maneuver where like guys used to go for the guillotine off of the takedown back in the day, like as a kind of a surprise attack. And Dustin Poirier tries to land that like at least once a fight if he's going to the ground. It doesn't work, um, at least anymore. So yeah, it's going to be an interesting fight. Um, there's a lot of questions that, that will be asked uh, going into this one. All right, so we'll talk about that more as it approaches, undoubtedly. But um, I think there were some sensuous events over the weekend that we really need to get into and discuss. So yeah. I'm in trend position. position? Hey, we're really going to bury the uh, discussion about the Ring Girls and Brendan Job. We'll talk about that later. After. All right. Let's get into fights. Like For now, it's boxing news. Wow. 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 What a week of boxing we get to talk about today. All right, Jeremy, take it away, please. Oh, did the transition happen? Okay. Uh, Jeremy, didn't you see it? We all saw it. Oh, yeah. It came from over there. As you guys know, I'm, I'm clinically institutional. Um, what? <laughs> if I'm sure, Jeremy, are you are you secretly um one of those word ge- uh, sentence generating AIs <laughs> that just put strings random words together? <laughs> that wasn't random words. Clinically. I'm hypothetically scientific. <laughs> you know, you know, Africans say words. That makes stuff. more sense, Stefano. You're doing that too much justice. <laughs> 
Clinically institutional makes sense. Fuck you. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Clinically institutional makes no sense, Jeremy. All right, anyway, get, let's get to the bottom. I'm sure you. I'm sure you. I'm sure you've heard by now. On at by the time this podcast comes out, Saturday night, we got the trilogy fight between Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury. We got to close the chapter on this, and we got to see Tyson Fury, the Gypsy King, you know, reign supreme and defeat Deontay Wilder in the tenth. With a over overhand kind of hook, right? It was wonderful. The whole fight was great. The buildup was great. Um, and before we break down this fight, I just wanna say one thing about what happened Saturday night. You know, um, this entire year, there's been like this dark cloud over the sport of boxing. A lot of uh, things like cancellations, a lot of like corruptional stories and things like that. And um, the thing, the problem with boxing, I would say, is that it's not very consistent. If we were to get fights like this consistently against top fighters like this, I believe boxing would be probably the most popular sport in the world. But back to the fight, um, it it was probably the best fight um, of uh, one of the top fights of this era, I would say. It was Poggers, as the kids say. It was what? Jeremy. With the- I said it was Poggers, as the kids say. Okay, I got no two, two pages of notes that? on this. I got two pages of notes. <laughs> two pages. And I re- guess I rewatched the fight. Yeah, let's, let's hear them. Let's hear them, David. Let's hear them. Okay, I can't, stop, I can't stop watching the highlights either. The, it, the fight, in my, in my estimation, was scientifically, hypothetically, clinically institutional, in my view. Wow. <laughs> subliminally, uh, subliminally biological, for sure. <laughs> no, but for sure, I actually agree with Jeremy. I think uh, this was a really exciting fight, but I think part of the reason why it was so good and felt so significant was because of the eyes on it. I don't watch undercard boxing. There are probably bigger wars out there that we just never really find out about, honestly. Um, so I, I do think like the hype definitely fed into it, but it's great that you know you got two top contenders like fighting each other. Um, and let's not forget, I don't want any revision, revisionist history happening, uh, because people literally we said, all didn't like, want this fight. Nobody wanted this fight. And I, now, I'll be the first to admit it. I, I did not want this fight. Yeah. And Wilder was right. Wilder was right. Like he did. He and we were all wrong. We were like, there's no way Wilder can stand a chance again. No, he, he, he improved from the last fight. Uh, he looked a lot better. He added some more tools to his game. Um, you know, it didn't go his way, uh, uh, you could say, but, you know, that was more as a result of Fury than anything he did wrong, in my humble opinion. Although I do, I think, there's stuff, I do think there's stuff that maybe he looked back on and felt like he could have done better. But, um, yeah, let me jump into some of these notes. First yeah, of yeah. All, I just want to say that before the fight, Tyson Fury was all, bitch, bitch ass. And after <laughs> the fight, he was all, I want to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's so true. Uh, I hope that Jesus Christ softens his heart, honestly. <laughs> I was about to say, I, was about to, I, was about, I want to try to throw that in, in at some point during the podcast. Be like, oh, Jesus Christ softens Steph knows heart. <laughs> I want to throw that in there. <laughs> but that was yeah. random. Uh-huh. He was, no, he was that trying was random. To, like, really. I mean, I've probably heard him give a speech before, but that was really random. That's what he does. Deontay Wilder after the fight was like waving him off because Deontay Wilder didn't want to talk to him. 
like to show respect after. So he was like, I hope Jesus Christ. He's a proud champion. Deontay is a very proud champion. And let me say this, you know, since I started watching boxing, David, I definitely want to hear your notes. Um, Since I started watching boxing, I've I've never really been on the Deontay Wilder bandwagon. You know, even though he's right up my alley, you know, power, athletic, um, bravado. Uh, I never really, and probably partly had, part of that had to do with like the amount of excuses that he was giving uh, for losing to Tyson Fury. But I did gain a lot of respect for Wilder after this fight and became a fan. I definitely became a fan of Deontay Wilder, like a, a bigger one than I already was. You know what? Yeah, yeah, like literally kind of building off of that. First of all, I think we're all in agreement. Tyson, uh, not with Tyson. Deontay Wilder won that first round. Um, he did pretty much what everybody thought he couldn't do and came out boxing. He had jabs to the body. Um, he was like setting stuff up with, you know, the one, two to the body. And honestly, I think, you know, he was trying to set the tone, uh, kind of like, uh, yeah, he was trying to set the tone. And um, I feel like he was aiming to tire out what was a bigger guy because Tyson Fury came in as heavy as he's ever been. And um, yeah, I, I honestly thought like he looked a l- like Tyson Fury looked a little bit tentative from what Deontay Wilder was doing in that first round because he didn't know whether he was going to, you know, go low and then come up with like the big right or whether he was like, you know, faking. Like, I mean, I wouldn't say there was a lot of fainting. I wouldn't go that far. Although there was a little bit more there was some faking. Yeah. There was some faking. He would fake round. downstairs and come up with the check left. You know, yeah, there was, there was definitely. Yeah. And you know what? I, I would also say that Tyson Fury was trying to establish that check hook counter in the first, like towards the end-ish of the first round. But he just couldn't really because like, once again, Fury, oh, sorry, Fury, I keep getting confused. Deontay Wilder looks sharp. If a little bit tense, uh, I've heard a couple of people say that he looked like the, a lot of nervous energy, but I thought he looked like sharp and he looked dangerous as hell in that first round. And you know I, think what? I was just going to say, I could speak to that a little bit. It did seem like when he was going to the body, he was like pumping it out because he, he knew it was what he was supposed to do. And it didn't seem like he had an eye for it. Like, you you know, there was a couple times where like he overextended. There was a couple times where he spammed it a little bit. Um, he definitely. I, I do. Think, because, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Because he knew. I wanted. I just want to say real quick. Because Deontay Wilder probably was looking tense because he knew that he was doing that to set up the right hand. That's the only weapon he has is his right hand. He was doing it because, uh, you know, he was listening to his trainer. Um, but I don't think that um. Yeah, like you said, he didn't really have an eye. He didn't know where to place it exactly. He just knew that if he kept if he kept backing him up with with the with the jab, pumping out that jab, he would get him at a distance where he could set up that right hand. Because the second fight, uh, Fury was smothering that right hand. So I think that was probably why he was keeping. No, it's, it's for sure, and and I think that's credit to Malik Scott uh, versus Mark Breland and. You know, I've been very critical of Mark Breland, like almost like criminally critical. Wait, um, what? Yeah. Bre- Why are you critical about Mark Breland? That doesn't make any sense. Because Breland was his former trainer. And I, even though Breland is a Olympic gold medalist and a former heavyweight champion and deserves all the respect in the world, 
wasn't a wasn't a WBC champion caliber trainer. And and you could really tell just it, with Malik Scott in what this the year that he had Deontay Wilder in, um, at least before never the doing the stuff over, that yeah was he, never doing the stuff that Malik Scott showed him to do. Yeah, um, can make it because the one things that go into the body does is it backs the opponent up. And the thing Bingo. about Deontay Wilder is the thing about Deontay Wilder is he's an infinitely better boxer going forward than he is going backwards. Uh, yeah, and, Dude, and not, that's point. Oh, go on. Yeah, no. So that's basically it. Like, I think there was just a couple things I want to build off of that. Is that that jab to the body was getting him to go forward, getting him to get loose, getting him to get ready. Yes, he was tense. Yes, he didn't have the eye for it, but at least he was able to get some breathing room until that first knockdown in the third. I would say that um, Tyson definitely brought the fury, but Deontay was a little bit wilder. So um, on that on that point, though, I mean, that the, the investment in the body jab in the first round was something that gave me confidence, but tentative confidence. If straight shots to the body. And obviously we saw from the, the last fight is that punch and clutch was a big part of the game of um, Tyson Fury. It's good against a power puncher because it, it stops the exchange. And in those exchanges, Tyson's allowed a few extra seconds. He was penalized in the last fight for it but he's allowed a few extra seconds to really wear on Deontay and get tire him out. And that body jab, it was an excellent weapon to just maintain a distance between him and uh, Tyson Fury, as well as to bring the hands lower. And Tyson was kind of confused by it in the first, in the, uh, the first round. He was not pursuing the, uh, the clinch with as much frosting as he did in the later round. I think it seemed like, you know, instead of throwing that jab with uh, just flicking it out there and maintaining like a little frame, he was really committing. Deontay Wilder commits on every one of his punches. And he was committing on every single one of those body jabs. And that gave me a, a little bit of hesitation just because with his style of punching, it's difficult to carry over to the later rounds. Not entirely. He dropped uh, Fury much later. But that body jab will not have the desired effect. It's not going to produce a knockout. It will accumulate damage. But I would have liked to have seen him take a little stink off. But yeah. uh, Fury just did is... an excellent job. Sorry, one, one more quick thing. That punch and clutch was there. And one thing that I love that he did was jabbing on his way in. Um, sometimes he'd smother in the exchange. Sometimes he'd maintain that kind of stockade type position where Deontay Wilder is underneath his uh, his armpit and he's just leaning his weight on him. And one thing he did phenomenally is if Deontay tried to peek out of that clinch, he'd kind of track the head with his hand and just land a beautiful uppercut um, coming out of the clinch. And that was just there again and again and again. And am I the only one that thinks Tyson Fury didn't look quite as sharp in this fight as he did in the last fight? Definitely. You might, might as well just rip all two pages of my <laughs> 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 No, you're right. You're right. And, and he looked look, slow. He wasn't fainting as much. His volume wasn't there. Um, but again, I think it just came down to, you know, Deontay Wilder was backing him up early. Um, and it's just, it's such a shame that when the knockdown in the third happens for Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder kind of abandoned that game plan. And the I think, in my opinion, almost in, in a weird way, the worst thing that happened to Deontay Wilder was getting the two knockdowns in the fourth, going back to being a brawler. Right? Honestly, I have no idea, you. first of all, how Tyson Fury made it through that. Like, there were two times in this fight where both were literally, literally saved by the bell. Like, he turned Tyson Fury into a panic wrestler. Tyson Fury was attempting a double leg there after that first. Uh, <laughs> That's so funny. That's like... Funny. 
You know, I, I, I think I think Deontay Wilder's chins chin should be credited as one of the best chins in the history of boxing, and I'll tell you why. The man does not roll off punches; he just absorbs them flush. From a 270-pound, six-foot-nine Tyson Fury, he's not rolling with these shots; he's absorbing them flush on the chin, and was still able to absorb the better part of like, you know, how many rounds he had. Definitely got a legendary chin for sure. Yeah. David, sorry, I want to get you in on this conversation. No, it's fine. You guys have pretty much said what I have to say. I mean, I don't think, first of all, I think that, yes, the power jabs were part of, sorry, were part of the reason that um, Tyson Fury wasn't as mobile. But I also feel like, and there might be a little bit of a lay opinion than the casual opinion, but the fact that, you know, he came in at what, 278 pounds or something like that has to do with it like you're not going to be like mm-hmm. hopping skipping around the ring like when you're that heavy and you know i felt like he came in with a very clear game plan and we really start, started to see that from round two where as Stefano says he's punching into exchange he's literally throwing everything he has almost in a way that he wasn't doing in uh the second fight i mean let's say definitely not the first fight but a little bit less the second fight like he's literally like going a lot of the times for the power one two um moving in and like leaning in with it and then whether he lands it or not he's clinching overhooks underhooks doesn't matter like he's just grabbing and just putting all his weight onto uh Deontay Wilder like Stefano says so maybe like it was the switch in game plan that made him you know not need to faint as much and I also feel like if anything in the later rounds especially you know about like round six round seven once you feel like you know i'm actually kind of styling on this dude yeah then then his head movement and left footwork was great like he was moving in and out like changing angles like switching like it was really good so i think it was like he just wanted to first of all that first round was so different from the way wilder fights like i can't even think of the last time i could even I, i don't even know if i've seen a clip of wilder hitting a body shot like that um, so I'm not sure he was expecting it, but after that, like, you know, he got into his game plan, was like, okay, this is working. Then, as you said, round three, um, he's beating him up. Uh, it looks a lot like the second fight, knocks him down. I think Fury gets shocked in round four, honestly. And when he gets knocked down, I think we, we can talk about it later, but I thought that was a little bit of little bit of overconfidence in that uh knockdown for uh wilder because he pretty much walks straight in to that right um and then you know for the second knockdown i think he's literally so afraid of the right that he's like ducking his head and trying to head move and do turning away from it yeah exactly that's what got him um but i think like once he sorry going oh no just quickly i think some of the hesitation in the early rounds that you guys referred to one thing that i noticed is that Wilder was really trying to punch with Tyson Fury as opposed to punching after him, which is why in the second fight, the volume that displayed by Wilder was like very, very low because he's waiting for his opportunity to land that right hand. But here he was really, he was jabbing with Fury too in those early exchanges. Yeah, and well, trying to land the one, two, trying to run the left hook on the exit. But Fury, Fury made adjustment and he knew that over the long haul, ironically, as a 270 pound man, he was going to be the one that was going to be able to carry the but I think I think part of that is the is the clinch, right? Like, and, and I will say, Wilder did much better in the clinch this fight than he did in the previous. Uh, he landed a couple nice uppercuts, sneaky uppercuts in the clinch with the uh, right hand. Um, like he would roll over to his right and and land a couple sneaky ones through. Um, 
and he had pretty good good commitment to the body downstairs. But it is if you're not used to that clinch, and I tell I tell the fight the kids at uh, York University all the time, if you're not used to that clinch, it can be extremely fatiguing, like over and over and over again. And oh yeah, it's it's it will light your arms and your back on fire. Like it's crazy how leaning on somebody can just do that to you. And Wilder, um, I think for the most part did better. Then the first fight at like handling the clinch, but eventually when the 270 pound man is on you like that, it's just, it's a war of attrition. Eventually it's just going to, it's going to get to you. Right. Hey, a lot of rabbit punches and shots to the back of the head in my, in my estimation. You know, um, yeah. I think two of the knockdowns could even be qualified kind of like that. Um, I, I, I think like, some of the knockdowns were elite. Like, for example, I, I don't know how much the first knockdown was as a, was a direct result of, Wilder gets his head in, gets into a head. Fury puts Wilder's head into a bit of a headlock. Then, as he's letting go, he gets the uppercut, stunts Wilder, hits him with an extra shot on the way down, and he goes down. You can make a legit argument that's an illegal knockdown. But I think as long as he's not locking the hands or maintaining any kind of control, he was just kind of resting his head. There were times where he played fast and loose with it, but to, in my estimation, that that uh, knockdown. He was just kind of maintaining an open glove and just kind of applying pressure to the top of the head of Wilder. And for me, that's a bit of a gray area. That's exactly my point. It's like how much of that is, well, Wilder's ducking his head and Fury's just putting his arm there and he's he's resting. And how much of that on is, that first, no, you're stopping him. Yeah, on that first knockdown. On that first like, knockdown, Wilder definitely did duck into the headlock. And then, yeah, he rested it. And uh, like like you said, it's a gray area. Yeah, it's it, yeah, it, oh, yeah. It, it, it gets it gets really interesting. Um, you know, even in the last knockdown, it's like you know, again, a, another direct result. Uppercut comes up, and then he, the flurry starts. It gets a little interesting, but these are the games you have to play in in high caliber boxing, right? I'm not maybe because I'm biased as a you know fan amateur practitioner of Muay Thai, I didn't have a single problem with the clinching. I thought it was probably the right thing to do, and I thought the game plan was perfectly executed. So, um, you know, as much as people want to say, oh, that's not boxing, you know, oh, he fought dirty. I didn't see it dirty at it's all. I thought, dirty. like, if, what are you supposed yeah. to do? Like, are you, if are anything, you I'd like to see more clinch striking allowed in boxing. You know, bring it back to the old school rules of boxing where you know, that's where dirty boxing originates, right? Yeah. There was a lot more clinch hitting. A lot of people were, you know, specialized in holding and hitting in the uh, the old boxing rules, right? Because well, the gloves have the thumbs. The gloves have the thumbs. Yeah, I'd even, I'd even go as far as to say back in the day with the Klitschko's and Lewis. Like, Lennox Lewis was pretty good at it. Um, the Klitschko brothers <laughs> were pretty good did at you, it. Did you acquire that skill when you beat his ass, Mike? Oh, God. <laughs> no, I Michael, can't give, I can't give the man credit. I can't. I can't no, I'm just that. saying, like, when, when you were dragging him around the arena at that sporting event, like, did he try to do that on you before you, you double-legged his ass and, and, and took let, the let me, let me Let me just explain none of this did happened. Did he just go, go quietly into the match? David Young. Um, <laughs> you guys are ridiculous. Every, each time, back to... Uh, okay, anyway, another point I wanted to make. Um, I felt, because, as you said, you know, Wilder... Uh, sorry, Fury was leaning on Wilder so much. By round seven, honestly, round six, I would say he is gassed. In fact, I would even say go as far as say round three. Wilder is gassed. 
like uh, like completely done. And there's somebody with terrible cardio, like I could feel it because like he had not like what's his name? Um Fury was as you said, leaning on him, putting all of his weight on him. And let's not forget the Wilder came in the heaviest he's ever been, too. So and, and through and through more volume than he's ever thrown generally. Exactly, right. And st- what's funny with the throwing word volume is that somehow um, <laughs> Fury still managed to, you know, throw up like, you know, twice as many significant strikes as him. So although apparently around the same number of uh, total strikes, which is interesting, but uh, he just outlanded him and just honestly outboxed him. Um, but yeah, I, I thought Wilder looked absolutely like spent that third round. Fourth round, he looked good because, you know, he got the knockdown um, at the two knockdowns, I would say. Fifth round was. I, a I honestly think that's the worst thing that could ever happen to him. Like I, I, I it's, it's weird because it's like it gave him the ten seven, but at the same <laughs> time, he got the the two knockdowns by brawling, and then as a result, he punched himself out, head hunting, and not going yeah. back to the game plan. And by round six, he was not going to the body. In fact, from round four onwards, like he was. He not abandoned it because he got the knockdowns right. And well, also, I, think, I think we have to talk about this too because no, go on one. I was gonna say I, th- I think Tyson Fury kind of got hip to the game a little bit. First of all, he didn't let uh, uh, Wilder lead as much. I feel like, as you said, Wilder was backing him up in those early rounds. But for me, from the second round on, the aggressor was definitely Tyson Fury, which mm-hmm. is crazy to say. Um, and and I feel like that's probably why you know Wilder couldn't. As you said, maybe he didn't have the feel for those body shots. It's a lot easier to like land your shot when the other person's backing, or for some fighters anyway, easier to land your shots when the other person's backing up. But when somebody's coming to you, throwing haymakers the entire time, like you feel like less cool going for like the low body shot, in my opinion. Like you want to like knock their head off too, especially when you land one clean like you did in round four. So. Yeah, I just feel like, you know, the game plan was working for Fury and t- sorry, for Wilder until it wasn't uh because Fury's just a little bit of a be- not a little bit, a lot of a better boxer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's kind of why he and I don't think it would have made sense for him to go back to those body shots because I think Fury would have cleaned them up with like the check hooks, uh his movement would have been too good. Like I I think it wouldn't have been would have been as good as we in a lot. I don't think it would have been as good as people. But think. like, you know what the crazy thing is though? Like you could see like inklings of it is that that body jab was to set up either the right hand coming on the other side or the check left hook coming upstairs. He was like using it as like a step ladder kind of effect to kind of fake come high, right? And you could see little inklings of that starting to happen until the third round knockdown. And then Ty- Deontay Wilder was like, fuck it, I'm going back to my old ways. And it, you know what I'm trying to say? And it's like, that's kind of the worst. That was like, number one, a bad thing. But then when he got the knockdowns, and look, no one's going to hate a knockdown, right? My point is not knockdowns are bad. My point, are, yeah, no one's going to hate two knockdowns in the fourth, right? And my point is not knockdowns are bad. But what knockdowns do is it gives you this confirmation bias of if I just punch more and more and more and more and I headhunt more and more and more and more. It's I'm a discipline win. issue. It's a discipline it's a, it's issue as far as sticking to a game plan. You reverted to what he knows how to do, which is punching as opposed to boxing, right? Exactly. And and unfortunately, and though, I did think that Fury looked still really wobbly in the early parts of round five, in my opinion. Yeah. So like, and, and I truly I think get, Wilder won the fifth round. 
I, it's weird. I, I thought I that one was a toss-up. I thought that one was a toss-up, in my opinion. Like, the early part of the rounds, yeah, but eventually they're, like, trading jabs and then, like, you know, Fury stepping to the side, throwing that hug. Like, I, I felt like that one could have been a little bit, a little, a little bit of a toss-up. But I wouldn't like, be mad at anybody who gave it to Wilder. Yeah, and, and that's can we, kind of the problem. Sorry, can we ahead. talk about what, uh, what a late stoppage this was and how Deontay Wilder absorbed yeah. two or three rounds of punishment that, quite frankly, I don't think he needed to absorb. I think... Well, I mean... Some people I think that to... boxing has the ability in it for you to get knocked out multiple times within a fight and then still keep fighting. Like, clearly, going back into his corner, uh, Deontay Wilder was not a lucid man. Clearly. Yeah, clearly, he was not fully with it. Round seven, he's done. Round eight, done. Like, literally, at that point, he's, like, once again, as somebody with terrible cardio, fighting off of just, like, instinct. Like, and, hurt, and hurt, don't forget, he absorbed a, a hellacious amount of punishment throughout that fight. Yeah. Flush on the chin. Dying. Fury is still light on his feet, dancing in and out. Like, that's why I was like, I don't know if, like, Fury looked bad more than the game plan was to wait for him to tire and then start styling on him, um, which is what, or, you know, who knows? You know, well, also the tactical right. error of Wilder kept going to his right. Yeah. And started going to his yeah. left, Tyson Fury's right. And now Tyson Fury is able to just load up on that right hand consistently after like the sixth round yeah i mean you know to go on stefano's point though on the late yeah, stoppage yeah. like i i think part of it is is like um i i didn't like i didn't like how late the stoppage was i think we're all in agreement here um i think yeah. for the most part but i don't think i don't think you can blame the ref though i don't think you can blame the ref because yeah i agree i think you have to blame the criteria on which fights are stopped like yeah, i think the ref awesome. was very active and very attentive during the fight I think he did a good job of being hands-off when he needed to, hands-on when he needed to, right? Um, yeah, I just think that's the criteria in boxing where it has to change, you know? Where and, you if know, there's a certain amount of unanswered strikes, I think. What's wrong with the 10-8 count? Remember when 10-8 counts used to be a thing in boxing and they just kind of went away from that? Like, whatever happened to that? I agree. What happened to standing 10-8s? I also feel like, you know, let's not forget that there was a whole narrative surrounding throwing in the towel and yeah. um letting wilder go out on his shield um before the, yeah, fight, the referees where, don't pay attention to that shit no i'm not saying the referees did but like i feel well i i feel i feel like and they changed the referee from the last fight like i, I don't know I, I just for some reason yeah maybe you're right maybe it is the lack of a standing. I, I think. Uh, I think there's count. a couple legitimate reasons. Yeah. You know, like I think there's a couple legitimate reasons. I like, think like the ref, ref thought the ref uh, thought that uh, Wilder after what he saw him do in the fourth, because Wilder looked the same way after the first knockdown that he did in the tenth round, doing that sleepwalking, moving the wrong way. So I think maybe he thought, you know, this is just how he fights, like. I definitely thought that. I definitely thought this is how he fights. Even though Wild, Wilder's eyes look like he's about to, you know, die. I think that's like that's a strong word, but like his eyes. No, I think that's accurate. No, but that's a very accurate. His word. eyes look bad, but like he's Jeremy, still. I'm with you. I'm telling you, that's why it's hard to judge for the referee. And you like, know what? He was still dangerous Jeremy, too. Like he, he had the I'm eyes of a. Mini. I'm, I, I, I'm gonna say this: if it was smaller guys. I think the ref might have stopped it with if there's a certain amount of 
unanswered Wait, shots. Smaller, when it comes, smaller meaning, Jeremy, Julie, just to clarify, smaller meaning in size or in like down the card? Like weight class because, because – Oh, I, I thought – oh, never mind. I thought you had a point there. Yeah, because I think down my, the point is, my point is being that – down the card. Like, yeah, like, I feel like not if it was big, less not, not as marquee, not as marquee. Yeah, like. I, feel, I feel like it was. Oh, and let's no, I'm saying like, but you know, you know, I, what, I don't, I don't weights know. tend to not throw a lot of volume, anyways. So it's like, no, I, so that's why. And and Deontay Wilder, like we all said, has a great chin. So I'm, de- I definitely think the referee took that into account. That took Deontay Wilder has a great chin. I think I think in combat sports, and I think we need to weigh the cost benefit analysis of this. With how few times we see a substantial comeback from from a beating like that versus how many people just end up getting brutalized over the over the the course of the rounds, I don't think it's worth it. I think it shortens careers. I think you know we're hoping there's going to be this Rocky Apollo Creed esque style comeback, and it's rare. We like Mike always says we all love a good comeback, and it's true. Everyone loves a good comeback, but. Man, if we're just weighing cost and benefit here as far as fighters' careers, careers and, you know, shortening lifespans and medical issues, honestly, I think when a fight no longer becomes a contest of skill versus skill and it becomes a contest of skill versus will and how much punishment you can endure and possibly land, a, you know, a haymaker shot, I, I think that kind of defeats the purpose of the sport for me. You know, I think that's that far. Yeah, I think, but like, see, this is the thing is that I get your sentiments. I agree with it, but I can't I, go as far as thinking, like, Will does have a place in all sports, not just fighting. Um, and you know, you can speak better about fighting sports than right, I get right. it, but yeah, right. But yeah, it, like, the basketball place, players, but... they say there's like will players versus skill players, and I'm and it's the same thing in soccer where like Will Durant. He's a basketball player, right? Yeah, Kevin oh, Durant. Oh, Kevin skill Durant. Player. Never mind. Kevin, <laughs> not Mike Durant. Kevin Durant would be a skill player, but then you have like you know Kevin will Hart? players like uh, back in the day, uh, DeAndre Jordan, or you know you guys know who I'm talking about. Like no, no, I, I get what you're saying, but I, I get yeah, but, that. You can't I win a basketball that. playing game playing just with will, you know? Yes, you can. No, but yes, like I get, I get what. No, wait, no I skill. So if I don't know how to shoot a three or like it's not about up, no skill. It's not like, about. I, no skill. That's okay. what I'm saying. You know there's, there's fighters. You know there's fighters. Like, you know, back to you know to the topic. You know there are fighters who rely on their chin, basically. You know, um, and at what point do we start to die those guys out of the sport because it's not for it's not for our faint of heart? Like you know, what I'm trying to say like when it's not competitive. You know, yeah. if you get like a Chris Levin who is absorbing shots on the chin and or a Vanderlei Silva, and he's returning uh, shots back, right? Obviously, it doesn't make for a long career, but you're still competitive within that fight, right? But if you've got uh, Calvin Cater, Max Holloway, where all I'm doing is absorbing punishments and not landing anything effective back, well, I'm sorry, but that doesn't fit within the purview of competitive sport. You know, there was a couple, there was a couple Liebman fights that, like, you know, against lesser competition too. That you know, if I think. In, in today's standards, would have been stopped a lot earlier. Am I am I wrong? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there was a couple like the Terry Martin one in particular. I remember it was it was an asshole thing. Darren Elkins versus Mursad Bektik. 
um, is another one that comes to mind. Um, you know, there there are a couple fights out there. I'm I'm not saying that to to be to to disagree because I do agree with you. Like knowing General. what we know now, there's a different era in 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 the way we should conduct ourselves in in when it comes to these combat sports, and that should be accepted, right? But what I am trying to say though is. If you're a fighter and you legitimately are still in it, it's it's weird. There's a weird kind of existential, like you get what I'm trying to say, like a weird existential crisis I'm having as a as me the fighter and me the watcher sure. and me the spectator of, you know, what what do you do in this situation as the referee if every once in a while Wilder lands this uppercut or lands a haymaker cross or you know what I'm saying? Can you stop it? Like, yeah, it, the rules are pretty much like you know until you can no longer intelligently defend yourself. Wait, is that the case in boxing as well? I'm pretty sure. Is intelligent defense a, a qualification in boxing as well? I'm honestly asking. No, I, I believe so. Um, I believe so. Oh, you're on mute, Jeremy. Boxing aficionado, save us. No, boxing David. No, David, and, you're right. And Hannibal Burris look alike. Oh, hilarious. David, you're right. Yeah, no, David got right. Yeah, you have to intelligently defend yourself. Exactly. I'm just wondering if that's that's written in the rules, though. Is that like a written thing? Like, you know what, let's yeah. check it out. Listen, I, yeah, David, please do the research, but <laughs> I know that when, I know that when Conor Ben fought Sammy Vargas, and Sammy Vargas, like, couldn't even see the punches coming, so for that reason, he couldn't return anything else, or yeah, he couldn't return anything because the punches were just coming in so fast. I think that's what I – that's the clearest example of someone who couldn't intelligently defend himself. He, Vargas was still on his feet but just couldn't return anything back because the speed difference was just so great. The skills wasn't, like, that much great, but you saw who was – so that was my – that's my example of non-competition. This still seemed – like a competition for the fact that Deontay Wilder's chin and his right hand, those are the two erasers, and mm-hmm. it still makes a difference even in the referee's eyes, even when, and I mean, Also, even though, you know, the referees can get snatched up by the press clippings, too. They know how big of a fight this is. They know they're in there. They know if they make a mistake, yeah, it's a huge they're, fight, they're, yeah. they're getting fired or, or there's a fine coming their way. Or, or they're going to be the talk of like boxing communities. Everywhere. But it's not just like, that. People still, like, yeah, people still don't forgive Adelaide Bird for her monstrously bad decision against Canelo. So, wait, sorry, wait, hold on. Adelaide Bird had a history of monstrously bad decisions. Yeah, but my point, my point being is that like they, the reps know, right? The reps. So when when Deontay Wilder is kind of sleepwalking out there. They're kind of thinking, do I do I end it? Do I not? He still got that right hand though, like. They know, right? That's all. Yeah. Guys, what I want to say, and I think this is the most important thing to bring attention to in the fight. What the fuck was that weird homoerotic entrance for Tyson Fury? When that like that twink, that 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 twink, yeah, but but what was that like twinkish gentleman with the long nails doing his like strip tease at the front? Like you never seen three hundred? I have. There was no weird. I've seen 300 multiple times. There was no weird twinkish guy with long nails and face paint dancing around seductively. There were women doing that. I don't remember some weird twinky guy doing it. I think it's a it's a play on Xerxes, baby. Like the the whole like thing. I don't know. Yeah, but there, there was women doing it. Why did he pick a twink? 
I guess. Fair enough. Eh. This is a guy who's very homophobic. Are you trying to tell us something, Tyson Fury? Is Tyson Fury homophobic? He's also he's, racist. He's, he's also racist. Very, too. Who's he racist to? I don't know. I, well, you know what? Maybe not not racist, but I know he said the N-word a couple of times. So. I, I, he know, too, I know for a fact he said some anti-Semitic stuff before. but the, like, He's very homophobic, too. He did yeah, say... Maybe, and you know what he said, too, uh, about... Maybe Friday, it's a Chipsy you know, He's like, thing. Vladimir Klitschko, you're a Nazi. Your people killed my people. Maybe it's a Gypsy thing. Yeah, well, I, I think they're called the Russians fought the Nazis, or anyway. he's Ukrainian, you fuck. Oh shit, that's racist. My bad. You see, <laughs> some some Ukrainians were a member of were did fight with the Nazis. Some of them fought with partisan groups, and some Ukrainians were even like working in the gas chambers, which is fucked. But it's weird to think about it that way because, you know. Hitler viewed Slavs as subhuman, so I, I, I yeah. don't know. What to, it's always listen, listen, I hope you guys enjoyed it Saturday night as much as I did because it's not going to happen for another 12 years, uh, <laughs> at least in this sport. That's the way boxing works, unfortunately. Yeah. It's sad. So. Well, guys, um, let's wrap this up and spend – oh, David, you had to say something? I was just going to say, so some people were already talking about, you know, who is Fury going to fight next? Should he do another rematch with Wilder? And it's kind of like good on it, that. I'm good on that. Oh, first of all, we don't even. I don't even know what you're saying, man. We can't Ooh. hear you. Usyk. Okay. Yeah. Well, Usyk. Well, oh, that was gonna say. Yeah, Usyk's rematch. Wait, oh, no. do you know what? Technically, Michael Osifo is the lineal heavyweight champion because he true. beat the brakes off of Lennox Lewis. That's right. Mike should fight him. Oh, wow. Do fights at media events count? I'm sure they count. Anyways, I mean, Mike did take his dignity, so I guess he did take the lineal title from me. Sure. Um, I'm going to ignore him. Please. I'm not, I'm not I have a family. Don't kill me. But we don't like, know you're, if you're, Baldur's... I, I love your impressions, but your Lance Lewis one gets worse and worse every day. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's maybe weird. that's because the CTE you inflicted on Lennox Lewis from that beating oh, makes his speech worse and worse every day. All right, like, you get boxed up by Lennox Lewis, too. Don't complain. Don't complain. <laughs> yeah. um, maybe if I get boxed up by him, I'm a Lennox Lewis supporter. I'm a fan. Mike's the one over here, you know, tossed him a beating. Hey man, Lex Luthor is going to call me with and say some choice words, and I'm not going to like it. It's Michael, gonna... please don't expose me. You're humiliating me. Um, <laughs> All right, um, do you want to move on to Mackenzie Dern? Yeah, Sorry, let's get a transition and talk about the fight. Sucks. Before the, before hold on, the hold on. Transition. 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 Before, I just wanted to say I did finally find the rules at the Ameri- Association of Boxing Commissions and Combative Sport. And uh, it doesn't actually say anything about intelligently defending yourself, but it does say um, shall uh, knock down when the result of a legal blow or a series of legal blows um, when the person's hanging on through or over the ropes without the ability to protect him or herself and cannot fall to the floor. So I guess that's oh, yeah, it's me just seems a little too spit. If anything, this is going to sound controversial, but I think that's a little bit too specific for me. I think when you have qualifications for uh, stopping a fight that are too specific like that, 
you kind of miss some common sense calls. I think if anything, there needs to be a little more, um, you know, up to the jurisdiction of the referees. Like how the referees you no, know, the scientific, probabilistical, uh, hypothetical of the clinical institution. <laughs> institutional. No, I, think, I, think, uh, I think it's just one specific thing they're saying. Like, you know, because Tommy Morrison versus Ray Mercer, for example, is a thing. Where Tommy Morrison was getting just pieced up on the ropes. Tommy the machine gun. Right? Yeah, yeah, making Tommy. rules is hard. It's hard to like not I mean, there's two other elements to it that I didn't mention. So either you're touch the floor with any part of your body, or you're being held up by the ropes, or you're hanging on through or over the ropes without the ability to protect yourself. So that is yeah, they kind of got rid of standing eight. Standing eights used to be a thing, like and especially in lower weight, in lower level uh, matches, matchups. Um, I think standing eights should still th- be a thing. I think they should bring them back, um, but they don't have them anymore. And as a result, um, I even think it's just better from this perspective. Let's Sorry, take I think you're wrong there. A referee may count a contestant out who is hanging defensively on through or over the ropes or on the floor. What I would say is though, watching Olympic boxing, there is like a lot more standing eight counts. Like in the I'm Olympic, talking about like, pro. Especially... I'm sorry. I, I no. know that it's an Olympic, but in Olympic is crazy. Like some of them it was just like you land like a good one two and they're counting they're counting you out. Like like what? from the rip. So seriously, yeah. it was that bad. It was that bad. So let's let's move on. Let's move on because we still got to talk about the UFC card. I know we don't, we're not going to go into it in too much detail. Probably just the main and co-main, but um, transition, shall we? Session. Ding ding. It sounded like you were going to go. Forfeit the game before somebody else takes you out of the frame. Your name is Lincoln Park. Sorry. Um, anyways, um, David seems like the kind of black guy that would like Lincoln Park. We all did. Everybody loved we Lincoln all Park. Did. No, no, but you seem like the kind of black guy that would still like Lincoln Park. No, no, let's not get carried away. Um, you <laughs> seem like the kind of white guy who thinks Mike Shinoda is the top five rapper of all time. Say that again. You seem like the kind of white guy who thought like Mike Shinoda was a top five rapper of all time. Like, oh the, gosh, no, I didn't even like I didn't even like Mike Shinoda back in the day. Ugh. Yeah, some of it is pretty rough listening back to it. Anyway, oh. well, all of it's transition. pretty rough. It's cringy. You love the way I look at you, Mom, when you tell me to go back to my room. Remember, I like Blink-182, Good Charlotte, Simple Plan, all that kind of stuff. So All crap. All crap. All absolute garbage. That's, that's terrible. That's awful. David, you, you've lost your N-word pass. You can no longer What about use. some 41 fat lip? I mean, they're boxers, right? No? All right. Uh, all right, now. Uh, <laughs> okay, so let's start with this doo-doo platter of a card. So as as much as David's uh, jokes didn't land just now, neither did any of Mackenzie Dern's punches. Lord of oh. mercy. Can we? <laughs> I would like, this is one of those phenomenons that you see with very inexperienced strikers. First of all, she looked like a somebody with um, a jujitsu player with very m- m- like you know mediocre striking. Who? 
that is literally point one of my notes here. Is that I was like, I read your notes. I stole them. Um, Rappler. There's there's a there's a phenomenon there's a phenomenon amongst um, people who have limited striking experience when they come against a, a striker who is better than them, faster, more fluid. Instead of they fight down as opposed to fighting up to their striking ability, right? Logically. If Mackenzie Dern used some of the skills we've seen her her use, you know, her jab, her overhand into clinches, you know, she's capable of setting some things up, but she fights down a level of striking because this person has an advantage over her and she gets intimidated and feels like she can't strike at all whatsoever with her, right? Which led to those weird running and out for, after her face kind of exchanges. Um, she was... Obviously, very scared to duck into clinches in the middle of when uh, Rodriguez was punching. And Rodriguez herself didn't look great. I mean, Mackenzie Dern's defense. Sorry, I'm rambling, guys, but I'm very mad. Mackenzie Dern's defense was the exact same every time. And she looked in like. The name of love. Yeah. She, her defense, she looked like she was capable of defending the first two punches, and that's it. Beyond that, her defense fell apart. She squared up her stance and just ate whatever Rodriguez. I'm coming for it. And Rodriguez couldn't take advantage of it. Rodriguez couldn't strike counter strike going backwards. She failed to get past the very simple guard of this every single time, with the exception of a few occasions. Like Dern was begging for an uppercut. She was begging for body work or a hook around the guard. Something, something, please, for the love of God. This was awful. Except for the brief exchanges of Mackenzie Dern's jiu-jitsu, this fight was peak UFC on ESPN. So Go on. I wholeheartedly disagree. Um, well, you're wrong. No, you're wrong. Okay. I thought Marina Rodriguez's uh, stand-up looked pretty decent, man. Like she... Leonidas, you are wrong. Okay. Well, we can feel that I'm wrong, but I feel like I'm right. Um, I thought, like, you know, she had some really good long-range weapons, in my opinion. Um, I thought her one-twos were good. Um, I thought, like, the way she one-two, was changing... Man. Pardon? Oh, I just said the ones that didn't land? I felt like some of them did land, especially when she would follow them up with like some wing shots afterwards. So like the one, two, and then get Mackenzie Dern backing up and then keep rushing her. I thought that worked really well. Uh, I thought she had an interesting right. It wasn't like your straightforward, like, you know, straight right. I thought she kind of court screwed it, which was giving Mackenzie a lot of problems, in my opinion. As I said, I thought her clinch knees were pretty vicious and towards the end of the round five like they looked like you know if she had more time she could have stopped Mackenzie um I felt like Mackenzie Dern could have grappled a little bit more honestly um I thought she kind of got stuffed for her takedowns as well um but and I wrote down here that Marina Rodriguez's uh ground game was not terrible but what what but, what? but hold on hold what? on Until Mackenzie Dern. Let the match speak. Okay, go on. No, 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 keep going. I said it didn't look terrible, but then, you know, as I was writing that, Mackenzie uh, Dern, like, uh, got into a pretty dominant position. I think it was around, like, round two when that happened. Um, When she she was able to, I think think she had the single leg fell to her back and then was able to to hit that beautiful sweep. I, I don't know why I'm drawing a blank on what sweep it was, but let's say it was from half guard. I'm Let's say elevator sweep, no? Yeah, yeah. That was sweet. Uh, I think Dern fell into that trap of being a pure jiu-jitsu player where dominating position is enough and she wasted opportunities to land ground and pound on top, quite frankly. 
Right. And I feel like a lot of the time she would try to like get into a submission. She would just run out of time. You know. Yeah. Towards the end of the round, like ten seconds left in the round. I'm sorry, unless you're going to fall back on an armbar, you have to be punching and elbowing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. But that's. The, I was also. Yeah, I thought like you know the teeps and obliques of um, oblique kicks from uh, Marina Rodriguez were pretty good, and by the end of the fight, they were giving Mackenzie Dern a lot of trouble. Like she did not want to. You know, advance as much as she did in the earlier rounds, which was good. You know, was it a barn burner? Definitely not. But I felt like Rodriguez's like at least stand up game was like venerated in this fight. Like I thought, like you know, it showed like she can strike with maybe not with the best of them out there. Wouldn't go that far. She didn't look like you under well, your out Marina there. But... De- Marina's takedown defense is not good. So like she didn't want to get taken down, so she's being right. a little more cautious and not. How was it not good? She got taken down once, and then she got the second takedown, which ended up in her almost getting submitted. Like what? no, I mean like her actual technical takedown defense. Like if you saw her against Ronda Marcos, for example, Ronda Marcos took her down like three, four times, and Ronda Marcos, no disrespect to our Canadian girl, is not the caliber of fighter that like a Mackenzie Dern is or. Or even Amanda Hebas, right? So Mackenzie Dern is so lacking in those fundamental areas of MMA that are pretty standard as far as takedowns, as far as punching into clinches. Like it's just not there. Yeah. Right. So, but which she is does fair. get a good right into uh, underhook, but go on. Yeah. No, which is fair. It's true. It's all fair. But like Marina Rodriguez, knowing like, hey, you know, like wrestling, my wrestling is kind of weak. She's not going to chain together a five punch combination, even if. If she knows that Mackenzie Dern is is kind of like begging for like a two punch combo downstairs after even uh, if it's getting four, kicked out upstairs, you know? Even if it's four rounds in and you've seen that Mackenzie Dern is literally incapable of shooting under your punches. Maybe, fair enough. Fair enough. Like literally incapable of it. Like she didn't do it once. And Dern couldn't see finally figured it out by happenstance in round five, I believe, that Rodriguez does not know how to fight going backwards for extended periods of time. We saw in the Watterson fight that she can draw back and, and counter, you know, occasionally, but she's got that kind of like Donald Cerrone syndrome where if you just keep her on the back foot, she's kind of useless. She yeah. back, were, I counted three or four times in this fight where she took eight steps backwards from one end of the cage to the other and put her back on the fence. Hmm. Yeah, no, it's fair. It's fair. Um, it's Dur- just I'm just Dur- trying to I'm I'm trying to provide. Wait, Dern did that while. or Rodriguez? You no, know, Rodriguez did that Rodriguez. multiple times. Dern secured clinches where and by Rodriguez just backing herself straight up in a line, eight steps backwards, and then Dern failed to maximize on that clinch. Didn't land any strikes. Was just hanging on to that Russian drag or uh you know that weird position where Rodriguez had that deep underhook like just. These are fundamental skills you would expect somebody who's been in the UFC for like eight fights to have at this point. No, it's fair. Oh, it's fair. Like, I didn't like the the fight either. I thought it was a, a pile of, you know, doo-doo. But I, I'm just providing as reasons as to why Marina Rodriguez wouldn't rattle off like an eight-punch combo on a person who was asking for it. Like, you're not – if someone's a superior grappler or is billed as a superior grappler, like – you know, for I'll use my fighting example against Olivier, who is a judo guy. I wasn't going to be throwing like eight punches in a row. I kept it kind of basic. Uh, Although you did sometimes, Mike, didn't you? Huh? You yeah, did sometimes, bro. We yeah. were <laughs> You stuck around in exchanges, my friend. 
Oh yeah, like, man, you were brawling. Don't do that. You were brawling. You, you sometimes your coach, your very intelligent, beautiful, and smart coach, was in the corner yelling at you. You know, you know, it was, it was a good performance. It was a good performance. But let's, you know, there no, were no, times. My point, my point being that, like, I wasn't at least initially. I was. It was low kick, check hook, and one two, and then and then I got a little well, excited. Who designed such a brilliant game plan? <laughs> what happened, bro? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was all you. All the credit to Michael Osifo. No, 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 stop, stop. It was a team effort, you beautiful man. Um, Dream team. Okay, Dream anyway, team. Let's see. Okay, are we done talking about Marina Rodriguez versus McKenzie Dern? Because I know I am. Like, it was yeah, I'm done. Day. I'm done. David's like, hold on, I had four more pages of notes. With Mackenzie Dern. Like, legitimately, I had a full page of notes, but you kind of said everything. When, when Mackenzie Dern moved her left hand two inches to the left, that was very. Why am I doing your impression like Mike? That was very effective. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Other fights. Um, Rude Boy Brown, Gooden. Uh, Rude Boy Brown comes up with the victory after Gooden misses weight by, I believe, four pounds. As he um, should. As he should. Yeah. Um, look, we talk about making weight and missing weight all the time. Um, I'm not going to get into it. It's what it is. Make you gotta make the way. I'm telling you, you it's gonna be the Lennox Lewis because he missed weight. Huh? Sorry. Do you beat up Lennox Lewis because he missed weight or something? <laughs> Man, one day people are gonna ask about that, and I'm not willing to to tell this story. Um. So, so what I was gonna say, in terms of the the missing weight, Randy Brown had a like I guess an interesting point. He had an interesting statement here about how. You know, he he accepted to take oh, really? the fight, and he's going to get the 20% purse, but, um, you know, he's only realistically going to make $5,000 off of that purse because it's only Gunn's third fight. Um, So he, say, he was saying, like, maybe take more, maybe more of a fine. Like, I, and I thought it was an interesting segment. I wanted to know if you guys, like, what, what you guys thought about it. But No, no. Rule, one rule for all. Um, what I do think... Uh, Missing weight is definitely some kind of stigma within fighters. Uh, not sure why, but I guess I get why. But also, I, I think, yeah, I'm not a fighter, but I, I don't know if I agree with it. But I think one rule for all: it doesn't make sense to have progressive fining for missing weight. Like it literally, or like make like, sense. like a first time, second time offense, maybe like you know, like if you that I could see that yeah. I could see personally. But is this Gooden's second or third time missing weight? Or no, no, but what he was saying, it's just like the idea is, is that, like, let's say your purse is not that big. Are you really getting something out of, like, a 20% purse if a guy's making 15 grand? And is it really is it really feasible for a guy who's making 15, who's making 15 grand off of a fight to give away 20% of the purse? Like, you know, Christian Yeboah just called. <laughs> don't kill <laughs> What what I'm trying to say about this is I've always said this, like philosophically, I think guys are cutting too much weight and that's why guys are missing weight and they're dehydrating themselves to an insane degree. They shouldn't be doing this. Um, But at the same time, at the same time, if you do sign on to say, I will make the weight, like if you sign the contract, say, I will make this weight and you miss it, it is kind of like losing your job. Just say it. it. You really want to say it. Just say it. Just say it. 
Uh, like white guys with the n-word just say it man it's all <laughs> i'll say no, it no, no. mike's like all right, all right, right now. Right. you know what he's doing though wait david so. david you know what it's doing you know what edging is this is like edging for mike yeah, you know pretty much <laughs> he's just like teasing himself bringing himself closer and closer to saying it before <laughs> no no like I, I i think it's just an interesting segment all like, right mike yeah i know we know what you think no, I'm I'm saying like I just think this question. His question was that should Gooden have been charged or in general should fighters no. right like a progressive like it, first it, time it, offense, second time offense, third time I think offense. stuff like that, all it does is punish the fighters that are lower down the card more. Ah, fair enough. As you're making more money, it has to function as a percentage. If it doesn't function as a percentage, it's gonna disproportionately affect them, right? Or fucking Conor McGregor will say, What the hell? I already have uh this much money i can miss or even if it's an increasing percentage over time i don't know i just think that's not fair because if you're repeatedly missing weight there's probably some greater issue at hand and you know maybe there should be a new weight class yeah yeah the ufc's already established things like that with johnny Hendricks, where they're like all right well we're not offering you a fight at 170 anymore you know um i mean I think this fight exceeded my expectations. Uh, I think Brown looked good. Uh, that front kick obviously busted up his toe very early, but his boxing looked uh, it looked phenomenal, man. He used another little trick that kind of reminded me a little bit of the, the Fury fight, where after he landed a jab, sometimes he'd find that angle with a frame and land a good uppercut. I think Gooden overperformed. He did well. I think he missed out on some key opportunities. Um, he was finding the legs well of Randy Brown, uh, especially out in the open. But Brown would have these exaggerated reactions, obviously because of his injured toe, where he'd like bring his legs together like Wizard of Oz style uh, mm-hmm. after he kicked. And you got to take advantage of that. You have to fl- flurry after that. You have to throw it in combination. But um, you know, really missed out on opportunity there. What did you guys think about Randy Brown? I thought his performance was. I thought no, I thought you looked good. It was it was a fun fight, and especially the third round, he was clearly like having fun with it he was, he was super creative with it uh his jab was money it was beautiful it's a beautiful thing to watch um, from both stances yeah. too from both stances too which is becoming more common it's an Usman thing it's a brown thing you know yeah so i definitely feel like he looked a little bit sharper than Usman with it honestly like he's definitely he, he's one like to watch but what i would say he's got to check the like it man like he's got to check the like it because like gooden was brutalizing his legs like you know i think it's a philosophical thing like um you know there's a couple of fighters i know who are really good fighters like um you know really really good fighters who just philosophically say i don't check leg kicks like they just go i don't check right they decide it's not how to like jamaican guy jamaican guys are like against kinalingas or like, yeah. <laughs> that's black guys in general david um, <laughs> yeah i i think i think a lot of his defense was um Pulling the, the leg back, which can work well from the low kick, as opposed to actually um, checking it, which is fine. Like, pulling it out of the way is fine. But, yeah, like Mike said, like, I think the ph- philosophical difference is making it more susceptible is turning your foot inwards, which gives you a faster, snappier jab, but also makes it more difficult to check leg kicks because your shin's facing inside. Outside. Yeah. But, I mean, Man. there's... There's ways to compensate with that timing, stepping your foot in and out. It's just obviously with a dislocated toe, it's quite difficult. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. Gooden was doing well hanging around in exchanges long enough to land that leg anyway. So, like, he was always yeah. landing it last, right? And that and that's the important thing. Like, 
the exchanges, I think, I think, Stefano, you've said this before. The exchange is over when you say it's over, right? Pringle. There it is. So it all's that to say that, like, yeah, you can get pieced up with a jab, jab, you know, cross or something. But at the end of that, if you land that low kick because Randy Brown wants to go left or go right and you landed moving into him, you're you're going to it's attributive damage. Um, anyway, anything else anyone wants to say on uh, the oh, fight? Or? I was going to say, Joe. Uh, just quickly, I was going to say, Jared Gooden, there's no way you're going to hurt a man with traps like that. His head is attached to to his body with steel rebar, for God's sakes. <laughs> yeah, he's an in-shape gentleman, um, unfortunately. Um, I want to talk about uh, this last fight a little bit, not because of necessarily the result or the fight itself, but Nicolau versus Tim Elliott. Um, James Krause good came fight. out. Yeah, good fight. But James Krause came out and basically said um, he made a coaching error thinking that uh, Tim Elliott for sure won rounds one and two. And that, and, you know, kind of sort of encouraged, didn't say he encouraged it, but said, you know, they didn't mind taking the third round off, right? Um, I'm paraphrasing from the long-ass quote that he, he put out there. And as a result, Tim Elliott lost by unanimous decision 29-28 on all three judges' scorecards. Respect to James Krause, uh, man, for being this forward as a coach and admitting his error. I really appreciate that. I, I thought it was a man's thing to do, right? Like, you know, he, I really thought it was, a, it was a really nice. And this is why I think James Krause is slowly becoming um, a lot, um, one of the better trainers out there. Like, it's, I, I wouldn't necessarily say he's got the reputation of, like, a Dean Thomas or, or Whitman, but he's, he's getting there. He is getting there. He's getting there, man. He's got a good stable of fighters under him, title contenders at this point. And, you know, himself, I think he's free plug. I bought his um, or I got it as, as a gift, actually, his um, wall wrestling DVD or DVD instructional. And it's good. The way he thinks about things is very systematized. And when Tim Elliott had um, Nicolau up against the fence, I could hear the stuff that he talks about in his instructional, same codes, and he's used, they're using it in the cage. I'm like, wow, it's systematized, it works, it's simple, it's, it's really good. And um, yeah, he's one of those great minds that thinks about the game in a systematized way like that. And he has a good, consistent stable of fighters under him that are at a high level. Even if he's not producing champions, he's clearly doing something right. Yeah. And you know what? He He's still a... a- a guy like I know his heyday is a little past him in terms of his competition days, but he can still go in there and whoop your ass. So um, had a competitive fight with Trevin Giles at 185. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So he's still a. He, I just I just really like the move that he did. I'm paraphrasing. Um, I can find the full quote if you guys would like to see it off air. But I really liked what he said there. I thought it was a man's thing to do, and you know, like I liked it. I I just. I know David's going to say something about a man's thing to do. He's like, getting yeah, triggered. I let it go the first time, but then this guy drops it I will it again. not let it go a second sorry, time. Sorry, Jeez. sorry. There's nothing inherently good about wet man. Okay? Um, I, you get what I'm trying to say. It was just a really, I thought it was really, gro- it was really big of him. Like, it was really big of him to take, it'd be like, my fault, put his hand up. And, men oh, what, because men, men are physically bigger than women? Really, yeah, Mike? Oh, God. Oh god! Any other just because men have a size advantage, they have more moral character. The fuck? Yeah, so that's exactly what I'm saying. Men have yeah. more moral character than women. Yes. Anyway, right? um, I well, was we gotta wrap Stephano's this up. Uh, Stefano's boy won. Romanov. 
Seven, do you want to say something about that? He did. He did. Man, uh, a smothering grappler up at heavyweight that can pick people up and throw them up over top of the head. And he has shitty striking. I mean, what more could you want? What more? Could, that's, that is my prototype. I'm sorry. My prototype for a great MMA fighter that I enjoy is somebody that has terrible striking and can make high-level grappling work. Awesome. Love it. Love Romanov. Love his King Kong hammer fists. I love his wrestling. I love everything about him. I love his fat gut. I love his, you know, Moldovan-ass attitude. Give me more. I can't wait to see him fight Derek Lewis. That fight is less than a year away. I can see it already. I want it. I want it. Give it to me. Oh, man. Terrible. Okay. Um, we don't really got a story time transition, so anybody got some stories they'd like to share with the class? What, what story was I going to tell at the beginning of the podcast? I can't remember. I was I was teasing something. It's so long ago, I can't remember. Yeah. Um, hmm. Well, okay, wait, what topics we wanted to talk about? We wanted to... No, it wasn't it. Do we want to do a soliloquy about, I think, maybe the heat around the Khabib comments and uh, Ring Girls? David, here's my thinking. Next week is uh, an equally sparse card, and there's no boxing event, and we're like nearly two hours in at this point. Yeah. So I think maybe we'll wrap, wrap, unless there's something quick. If there's like a quick thing you guys want to go through, a quick story time. Quickly, who you got? Brendan Schaub, Ariel Mahoney. I mean, one of them has a proven track record within mixed martial arts and, you know, has actually done things within the sport. And the other one's Brendan Schaub. Like, I think this is an easy. Uh, I saw the setup from the get go. I should have seen that. Um, yeah, I mean, David, can you can you give us, David, you, you, muted, you muted yourself. I was going to say, we can end it there, because that's pretty much the gist of the story. Basically, oh, I, got, just, I just want you to, can, can you just tell us what this beef is over? Is it real? Job is basically just talking. I think there was, like, some article about whether we need Joe Rogan in the sport, which is something we've even talked about. Everybody talks about whether yeah. we need Joe Rogan covering the UFC anymore. Um, and basically... Brendan Schaub jumps out to, like, defend Joe Rogan, which is admirable in that, you know, he brought him into the world of MMA media and tries to lay the smackdown on all MMA media, including Ariel Hawani. But did Ariel um, even write the article? No. has nothing so, to do with it. So why did you bring him up? Because that's what Brendan Schaub apparently does. Like, he just has a beef with people. And I feel like he's called, like, Ariel Hawani, uh, like, shady sketchy uh untrustworthy before and i feel like that's a thing of seems kind of anti-semitic <laughs> you know i'm not gonna say too much but I like mean, what are you inferring brendan schaub wouldn't be you're is he a banker as well jesus christ the fuck is wrong with this guy schaub that sounds kind of anyway i'm not doing that we don't we don't uh, get down with that kind of criticism here on the light kick but basically uh plus he's canadian so fuck you, Sean. Yeah, for real though. Yeah. Uh, but Hawani literally lays like the smackdown on Brendan Schaub, and he's like, "Buddy, like, how dare you criticize me in MMA media when you're doing the exact same thing? Like, you don't have the stripes to like come to an actual journalist, uh, essentially." And I thought it was a very, it was really funny to see Hawani talking tough for once. Um, so yeah, if anybody cares i would definitely encourage you to go watch it the one thing i do know about hawani is is that he is still pissed about people saying that he um got the information about brock lesnar's return 
through shady means. Like he he gets mad, like insanely mad. So you know, I'm, there are even of- that. It's like sorry. No, go on. I was gonna. I was just gonna say, like, even that. Like, who's gonna be mad at the guy for that? Is it the job of the journalist to fall in line and suck the UFC off? Like, yes. No, yes. the journalist's gonna be. That's what it's turned out to be. But the journalist should be at odds with the with institutional power. So you know yeah. what? No, it's true. Like, you know, I I'm just saying, like, there are moments where these journalists don't really like. They do have their values and and. They step up and and I think it's just one of those things where it's like you can't lie on somebody's name. If Ariel is convinced that like you you know I'm just using this as the example because it's the one that comes to my mind that because Joe Rogan put it out there and he doesn't really hate on Joe Rogan per se, but he just hates on this line of thinking that he got the information through shady means and released it on shady means and he's upset about that and he wants to stand up for himself. Then go ahead. So if he's going to stand up for himself in this one. I'm actually Team Ariel on this one. Like and Brendan Schaub yeah. was literally the most common bully boy technique. He's like, okay, if you've never been in the fire, if you never stepped into the fire, you're not allowed to talk about MMA. Joe Rogan, well, he's never been in the fire, but you know he's watched more fights than everyone. And it's kind of like, man, your argument is so intellectually dishonest. Like, even like, yeah, nobody can take this guy seriously. With all due respect, you know, I'm sure like, he's a yeah. Shab, you're doing the same thing as Luke Thomas and Ariel and all those people, except you're doing it worse. Except you're doing it at a 40 IQ level and saying good douche every 15 seconds. You know, like. And apparently he pays for his guests on that Taco Tuesday show. Show. I don't know what it's called. Uh, Food Diary. Does yeah. he? Is that real? Allegedly, he pays for it, and or he says, if you don't come on my show, you'll never go on Joe Rogan's show. Allegedly. That's definitely why wow. he you got to watch it, man. It's an interesting, like, 10, 15-minute rant. It was beautiful. Oh, Helwani exposed that in the yeah. clip? Like, yeah, he put the smack oh, gatekeeping. Really I mean, that's what Shaw really is. He's just a gatekeeper to Joe Rogan, right? Man. But you know what's crazy, though? I, I You'll even see things like, I mean, we'll talk off air, but, like, there, this whole kind of boys club between Rogan, Shaw, Callan when he was there. It's, it's, it's the it club where you need at least thing. one sexual assault charge to be a part of, right? That's the joke I was about to make. That's hilarious. <laughs> I'm reading your <laughs> mind, David. I'm in your head. Oh, my God. Man. I'm in your head. In my head. Uh, okay. Um, anything else we want to talk about before we call it, we tie a bow on this podcast? Let's. Can we tie it up? Because I actually have to go. Yeah, same here. I'm, I'm okay not. with that. It's 11 o'clock here. So. Yeah. Mike, Let's stick around for one second afterwards because there's just a couple off-air things I gotta ask you. Yeah, same. Sure. Okay. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes, professor. All right, Jeremy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, all right, guys. Um, friend the children, somebody. Yeah, I'll find his children. Listen here, children. All right. I hope that I hope that Jesus Christ softens your heart, and I hope that you subscribe to the Lake Kick Podcast. And of Jesus Christ doesn't soften your heart. May you eat a right hand from Deontay Wilder and never see the WBC or lineal title ever again. Um, I think that's, that's all I've got. Um, that's actually a really good Tyson Fury. <laughs> <laughs> David, you're muted. Oh, man. Do- um, and uh, I, I'd also like to add in the additional threat of if you don't subscribe to the podcast, 
may you have to watch that weird twinkish gentleman doing his 300 dance for uh, all eternity. <laughs> I don't like the tone you're saying that in. I don't like the tone. I know it's a <laughs> word used by gay people, so it's technically not Michael. I just want to say, I definitely thought Michael was greenlighting you with the man enough <laughs> with the man <laughs> comments. I, 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 you know I definitely what? I felt that weird was energy. Even, I I saw him kind of do what he did the first time. I was like, all right. <laughs> he, did, he, he did like the uh, he did like the Manchurian candidate, you know, he's you know, <laughs> I, I saw that. I saw him twitch a little bit. I was like, "Hey, you know what? I'm gonna just keep going." <laughs> I really, but anyway, man, enough. Yeah, in this crazy mixed up man's world, <laughs> this is a man's world. Um, in this crazy mixed up world where men are just out here suffering and, and doing the work while the women aren't doing anything. No, I'm kidding. Um, love y'all women. Uh, just make sure that you remember you got three things in life. You got life, you got family, and you got this podcast. Take it easy, everybody. <laughs>